0: go to Genesis Move. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. All to Jesus I surrender all to A sermon is pre recorded.
1: The message the Lord has given me tonight is entitled The Reward of Consecration. Have you ever noticed when you're about to go do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, the strangest eruptions will occur in your life? The water will run over the bathtub, have a fight with your husband. Tempers will flare. Have you ever noticed after you're finished doing something for God, suddenly it seems like every door is open and the enemy comes sweeping in on your life and you're saying, why is this happening to me? The answer is found in consecration. I want to walk with you through the reward of consecration because I want you to receive this reward. I want you to have a testimony regarding the reward of consecration. This is not something that can be done in the flesh. This is something that must be done in the spirit. We must begin where all consecration begins, and that is in crisis. If you have no crisis in your life, you are very unlikely to enter into consecration. Consecration to Jesus Christ is not something the human heart is wired to step into in time of peace. For some reason, the Lord knows he must bring upon us these times of great testing. And as he brings these times of testing we then have the opportunity to step into consecration. As long as we're fat and happy in the world, things are going our way, life is a bowl of cherries, and there are no pits, there will be no consecration. The devil will just sweep us on, and we'll live the good life, and we'll go to hell. So consecration always begins in crisis. And the crisis we'll speak about tonight was in the life of Jacob and his grown sons and his daughter, the daughter of Leah. They're in the land of the Canaanites. They have been promised that this whole land will belong to them. But yet they are wanderers and strangers in this land. They are in this land by faith. They are aliens in the land God has promised to give them as an inheritance. And Leah's daughter, Dinah, decides she's going to go out and visit the women of the land. And so as she is going out to visit the women of the land, a man sees her. And he attacks her. He rapes her. And he sends a message then to Jacob saying, I want to marry your daughter. Well, Jacob says nothing until the sons come home. And then he tells the sad story of their sister being dishonored, raped, Treated like a prostitute. And they're filled with rage. They are angry. And so messengers come and they say, we want you to intermarry with us. We want you to settle with us. We like you. You're our kind of people. Of course, he's very wealthy. They want his livestock. They want to do business together. So a meeting is set up. And the brothers deal dishonestly with Shechem and the family. And they agree to intermarry with him. But first, all of the men have to be circumcised. They say, let's do it. It's a good business deal. So all of the men are circumcised this whole town and then Simeon and Levi take their swords and they go in and attack these people and they kill all the men the other brothers join and they take captive all of the women and the children all of the livestock they ransack the place they burn it down and now there's a crisis Now, listen to what Jacob has to say in Genesis, the 35th chapter. We'll begin reading with verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are a few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. They replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Now you have the perfect setup for consecration to begin to happen. What kind of crisis has God brought into your life? You see, we say the devil did it. The devil's attacking me. You know, the devil gets a whole lot of credit for stuff he doesn't do. It's usually not the devil, it's usually our own wicked souls. It's our own wicked hearts. And God engineers this to expose our own wicked hearts. He sets it up so that we'll see who we are. And when we get angry and our fists are balled up and we're ready to go to war, suddenly we're in a perfect opportunity for consecration. When you're sleeping, there will be no consecration. So I ask some of you tonight, you've come in crisis. And you've been saying the devil was doing it. It wasn't the devil at all. God did it. Or he allowed your own wicked heart to create the situation. And he didn't step in and stop it. Because he wanted you to see your heart so that you would have an opportunity to gain the reward of consecration. God steps in at that precise time when everything appears to be lost, when it looks as though we're going to destroy ourselves in a fit of rage, we're going to destroy our marriage. We're going to destroy friendship. We're going to break everything around us. God steps in at just that moment. His timing is exquisitely timed to bring consecration. Now watch what consecration is. God said to Jacob, chapter 35, verse 1, go up to Bethel, settle there. Build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. He's saying, now wait a minute, in the midst of this crisis, would you remember where you came from? Would you remember when I met you? Would you remember when you saw a vision of a a great stairway reaching up into the sky, and I spoke to you from that tall stairway? Would you remember when I spoke to you, the beginning of consecration is to remember something that has happened in the past, where God has addressed us, where he's spoken to us. And which of you tonight can deny that God has spoken to you? At various times and in various ways in the past, You have felt the moving of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you have known that it was God speaking to you. And so when this crisis comes, he says, now travel back. Remember that place. Go back there. I'm going to meet you. So they go back to Bethel. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come and let us go up to Bethel. In other words, you can't just go back and expect God to meet you again in the same place He met you in the past if you take your sin with you. Because now you have more of an experience of the presence of God in your life. You've watched as he has worked. You've watched his miracles. You've seen him move in your heart. You've watched as He softened your heart. So he's saying to you now, let's deal with these idols once and for all. Come back and meet God at Bethel. But before you go to Bethel, drop your foreign gods off. Don't try to take your foreign gods back with you to meet with God. Remember that attitude you've been carrying, that self-righteousness that you carry, those quick words of judgment that flow from your mouth, that excuse, that vindication. He's saying, just drop that off on the side and come on to Bethel. You don't need to accuse anybody anymore because you're the one God has the finger on. See, here's the problem. When crisis comes, we always think it's somebody else's problem. The first step of consecration is to recognize it's not somebody else's problem. It's my problem. And God is saying to me, come back to Bethel. Come back and meet me where I once met you before, but don't come into my presence carrying your idols. Drop them off. You don't need them. I'm going to be there for you. So let your idols go. Some of you have idols that you constantly sit on. They're those little idols. They seem innocent. They just somehow bring comfort to your soul. He's saying, drop them off. Change your clothes. In other words, go take a bath. In other words, as you're going to go back now and you're you're going to meet with God, don't come into his presence dirty. Take a bath. Wash your clothes. Now, you all recognize that the way you do this is by getting on your face before God. And being absolutely honest with him about how you feel and what you think and where you're at. So that you pour out before God all of these false idols that you've been carrying and you tell him what they are and you say, I give them to you, Jesus. I give you authority over these things. You take them. And you also say to him, I'm tired of my dirty clothes. You wash me, put clean clothes on me. I can't do it. If I try, I'm like a little boy playing out in the mud, and I'm trying to wash myself in the mud puddle. And what would happen? I'd just get dirtier. So this is a process of coming into the presence of God and just getting on my face. Now, let me say this. You could have avoided the crisis if you had gone and gotten before God before the crisis occurred. You don't have to have the crisis. But the crisis comes because we get in neutral. And we think everything's okay. And we think we can just go ahead and do what we want to do. And because we're neutral, because we're not pressing into God, because we're walking in uncleanness, then God lets that crisis come or God even brings that crisis to reveal a mirror to us so that we can see our inner heart. Jesus didn't need a crisis to be consecrated. Jesus didn't need a crisis to be consecrated. He went down into the waters of baptism when he wasn't even dirty. But he knew that he was going to go out in that desert and meet God. And he went into that desert clean, even though he wasn't dirty when he went into the water. What I want you to hear tonight is that as you desire consecration, as you desire to go to Bethel and meet with God, get on your face before him and just let down all the pretense. Get honest with him. Lay it out clear so that he knows And you know that he knows. Verse 3, then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God. Why would you build an altar to God? There's only one reason to build an altar to God, and that's to offer a blood sacrifice. Well, the blood sacrifice was on Calvary's tree. You can't get to consecration without going through the cross. You get on your face and you confess your sin and you repent and you cast aside those dirty clothes that you've been walking in, but there's still a cross to get through. You can't get to consecration. You can't get to Bethel without going through a cross. That cross means you're going to die to your own way. You're going to die to your agenda and your schedule going to die to what you think, and you're going to let Jesus Christ rise up in your heart. I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Well, let me ask you a question. If God is with Jacob wherever he goes, why does he have to go to Bethel to meet God? Very interesting, I learned about dog training, with a Rottweiler. Arnie was a 135-pound male Rottweiler. He belonged to a friend. We were all going together. We were housemates with him. We were all going over to a friend's house. And Arnie was coming. And so as Tim was leaving, he picked up a towel that belonged to Arnie. And he took the towel into these people's house and he laid the towel down over in the corner on the floor. And he said, Arnie, place. And Arnie went right over to that towel and he dropped down on it. And Tim said, stay. We did everything we needed to do. We ate dinner together. We talked together. Here's Arnie on his towel. What was that towel? That was his place. Where's your place? My place is called Bethel, where the stairway of God comes down, where God meets me. I don't want any other place. I want to live in Bethel. Now God will send me out to do different kinds of things. But I tell you what, at the end of every day, he says, Raymond, place. You know where I head? I head to my towel. I head to my prayer room. Because that's where God opens up the heavens and speaks to my heart. My place is not in front of the television. My place is not over at the store shopping. My place is not on the golf course. My place is not fishing. I love it all, but that's not my place. My place is in my prayer room. And when the Lord speaks to me, he always says to me, go to your place. I'll meet you. Do you have a place where God meets you? Or do you have a place where the devil meets you? Where your heart is. Where your heart is. That's your place. For some of you, your place is work. For some of you, your place is your car. You love the freedom of getting in your car and putting in the music, and just cruising. My place is my prayer closet. I was pleased when a brother came in the house and said to me, Pastor, could I see your prayer room? Not many people ask to see the prayer room. Not many people get to see the prayer room. Because only those who have a heart are invited to see it. It's not much to look at. It's not very big. But it's a lot bigger than it looks. Because a ladder from heaven is into that place. And God meets me there. That's what Bethel is. Bethel is that place where Jacob is going to go and he's going to come into the presence of God and he's going to come into the presence of God with a blood sacrifice. And in that place, God will speak to him. Follow with me now. Chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. Jacob if if just a side note if you look at J- Jacob's life he's always wandering he's always wandering and he's always getting into trouble because he won't obey the lord god of heaven the lord said go to bethel and settle there has god given you a place to settle where he will meet you or are you still wandering complaining, grumping. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all of those who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves, change your clothes. Then come, let's go up to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who's been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. What are these rings in the ears? The Ishmaelites wore a gold ring, one gold ring in their ear. The Ishmaelite men wore a ring in their ear, a gold ring. The children of Jacob had begun to act like the children of Ishmael they had begun to adopt the dress of the world the bare midriffs the look of the world the the rings in the guy's ears the whole world look can the world look at you and see by the way you dress that you are not one of the world? Can they look at you and and see by the expression of your face that you are not of the world? We've said this many times, but I have to say it again. If it quacks like a duck, If it walks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. The children of Israel looked like, walked like, acted like the world. And consecration is when you begin to cast off these things and you say, I'm no longer going to walk in them. I'm going to take off the clothes that look like the world. You know, I would, I would love to have a, a social time with the church where we could have a, a watermelon fest and a, and a time of swimming at a swimming pool. A nice family time. You know what? I wouldn't even dare begin to do that in today's culture. I don't know what the people would show up and what kind of bathing suits they'd come in. I wouldn't trust a group of Christians to come together, to go swimming together, because of how they would be dressed. Is that true of your life? Is that true of your children's life? Do you look like and act like and walk like the world? Or have you determined to cast this aside, to not walk in this? They gave Jacob all the foreign gods and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Now, please, I want you to get this picture. A great crisis comes upon them. The bitterness of their heart is exposed. Bitterness with fists, harsh words. God steps in just at the right time. And then he says, now, lay aside your gods. Lay aside your idols. Take off the rings from your ears, the Ishmaelite rings. Lay aside the things of the world. Don't walk that way anymore. This is consecration. Consecration is when I begin to step into the presence of God and I lay aside everything of the world so that I no longer have the freedom to walk in the world like the world walks. Instead, I am publicly seen as a person who no longer speaks like the world, no longer acts like the world. I am no longer the world. I now belong to that place at Bethel where God appears. And I come into his presence washed and clean by his blood. I come into his presence with humbleness of heart. And I come with an expectant heart that he's going to meet me. I want to show you something. And I want you to note that this pattern that I'm speaking about tonight occurs over and over and over in the scriptures. Be sensitive and watch for it. The crisis comes, the call to consecration comes, and then God does something awesome. Watch. Chapter 35, verse 5. Then they set out, and the tear of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. In other words, the power of God fell on the whole community surrounding this little band, this family, and they didn't come and pursue them to seek revenge for the killing of Shechem and this whole town. They should have swept out and killed them all. That would have been the normal behavior. But the tear of God fell on them. And the tear of God fell on them for only one reason: They had consecrated themselves. Now, hear what I'm saying. The reward of consecration is that God steps into your situation totally outside of you and moves in such a way that total deliverance belongs to you. In other words, I go through the process of getting clean. I repent of my sin. I turn aside from it. I determine no longer to walk in it and then without my being in any way entrepreneurial, God steps into the situation and he releases me. That's not the end of the reward. Watch the next part of the reward. Chapter 35, they build an altar in verse 7 because that's where God had revealed himself. And then look at verse 9. God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be called Israel. Now, the last time this happened... There was another crisis. Esau was coming with 400 armed men, and Jacob did everything he could to arrange in the human realm a bribe for his brother. But in the middle of the night, Jesus comes down and grabs a hold of Jacob and begins to fight with him. And they fight all through the night. And finally, as they wrestled through the night, Jesus reaches out and touches his hip and throws it out of joint. And suddenly, Jacob realizes who he's fighting with. Do you know, it's so important for us to know who we're fighting with. It's so important to know who we're fighting with. You're not fighting with your husband. You're not fighting with your wife. You're fighting with Jesus for your soul. He's trying to meet you. He's trying to call you to your place, the place of consecration. So Jacob comes up out of this place, and when his brother meets him, they embrace and they kiss, and there is no animosity between them. What an incredible miracle of God. And now he has a new name. In this wrestling with God, he has been given a new name. And his name is Israel, meaning overcomer. But after he became an overcomer, he slid back into old Jacob stuff. And so God brings another great crisis onto his life. Have any of you been slipping back into the old Jacob stuff? You know what Jacob means? He'll grab her. I'm going to grab for myself what I think I want. I'm going to grab from my family what I think I want. I'm going to grab from my friends what I think I need. I'm going to grab at work what I want. I'm going to grab whatever I have to grab to take care of myself. We slip back into this Jacob role. Now listen, this should encourage your hearts. If Jacob could slip back and become a heel grabber again, and God didn't cast him off, he's not going to cast you off either. Instead, he'll bring another crisis to your life. And as he brings the crisis, your life will be exposed, and then you'll begin to cry out to him, and he'll say, Go to your place. Some of you have a difficult time praying. I can tell you why. It's not, it's not a difficult question. When you have difficulty praying, it's because you've satisfied yourself so much with the Ishmaelite earrings that you have no interest in the living God of heaven, and it means you're about to be set up for an incredible crisis. Because God will only tolerate your being a Jacob for so long. He'll only tolerate your being cunning and crafty and grabbing and greedy for so long. And then he's going to step into that deal and he's going to say, no, you belong to me. I own you. And he's going to bring that crisis on your life. And then you're going to be weeping and moaning and wailing and saying, Oh, everything's so terrible. Why is this happening to me? Why is life so hard? Well, life is so hard because you became Jacob again. And Jacob is always grabbing. So we find this reoccurring time after time in the scripture. God will bring the crisis He'll bring us through and he'll give us a new name. And then we go back into our normal way of life and we begin to get cold of heart and we slip back into this old Jacob way of living. And then God has to bring another crisis upon us. And in that crucible of crisis, there is the possibility once more for us to become Israel, overcomer, And the Lord God of heaven then speaks to us. God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you are no longer to be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked to him Bethel. I can hear you say, Pastor, that's a wonderful story, but that's Old Testament. Where does it say this in the New Testament? Okay. I accept the challenge. Romans, the 8th chapter. Romans, the 8th chapter. Verse 12. Now it's going to be unadulterated. It's going to be straighter than it was in the Old Covenant. Everything in the New Covenant is drawn into focus so that we can see it clearly. There is no excuse now. Everything was symbolic in the Old Covenant. Now the glory of Jesus lights our way so we can see. There's no reason to be blind anymore. Now listen to the word, verse 12, Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature, or it is not to the Jacob nature. To live according to it, for if you live according to the Jacob nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That only happens at Bethel. You only put to death the misdeeds of the body when you go into the prayer closet with Jesus Christ and you let the blood of Jesus wash you clean, and when that blood washing happens, then I tell you, the Lord God of heaven will begin to speak to you about your future. Some of you want to know, oh, do you have a word for me? (laughs) Yes, I do. A very simple one, repent. (laughs) Oh, but pastor, I want a word from you about my future if you don't repent, you'll go to hell. That's the word. If you repent and turn aside from your wickedness, you'll go to heaven. That's the word. I mean, one meeting, a woman standing up front claiming to be a prophet of God. And she points to somebody in the congregation and she says, you have a power boat, and you're very concerned about whether or not that boat is sold. The boat is sold. Don't worry about it anymore. And I'm saying, what? If God came with an oracle to speak to our hearts, he wouldn't talk to us about power boats. He'd come and speak to us about repentance from sin, getting washed and clean, being consecrated wholly unto the Lord. He'd say, Repent. This foolishness has filled the body of Christ. Gold dust falling from the ceiling. Diamonds falling from, then I say, stretch a whole big sheet out and collect it all and take it to the bank and pay your expenses. Now, don't play games with God. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy. That's the familiar term in the Greek. It means Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What are these sufferings that are being referred to? The suffering is the crisis that God brings into our lives to cause us to recognize our condition before God and be utterly washed and cleansed. When that crisis comes in your life, it reveals who you are. When you get bumped up against, you know what sloshes out? What's inside of you. When somebody says something to you you don't like, what comes out? What's inside? And so we come, and the Lord begins to speak to us and say, if you'll get clean, If you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, come on, Pastor. You can't really be serious. You expect me to walk righteously before God? Do you honestly expect me to do that? Yes. God expects you to do that. Not in your power, but in the power of the Spirit. He expects that all bitterness, all gossip, he expects that all despair, all accusation, he expects that everything of darkness, he expects the lusting after the things of the flesh will be finished. Now, I don't know what excuses you've been making for your own sin, but I want to tell you tonight that all of us make excuses for our sin, and we somehow make it seem less than it is. Somehow our sin is justified. You know, my mama was that way. My daddy was that way. I can't help it. I just do the best job I can. What do you expect from me? And the victim part just comes out in power. The Lord expects us to walk in righteousness before him. By the power of the living Spirit of Almighty God. And some of you have thought the Holy Spirit was just to make people fall down and look funny, thrills and chills. No, the Holy Spirit wasn't sent for that. The Holy Spirit is not a magician, He's not here for entertainment, He's a Holy Spirit. That means he is totally set aside from worldliness. He is not worldly. He is set apart unto God. He is God. He is righteous. And he expects us to be righteous. Now, I don't know how to say this to you. God's going to have to break our comfortableness with our sin. That's a sovereign work that only God can do. And part of my great heartache as I stand tonight before you is the recognition of how comfortable we have all been with our sin. We've been comfortable sitting in the mess. We've been comfortable with our family fights. We've been comfortable with our angry words. We've been comfortable with our playing victim. We've been comfortable with our sin. We're accustomed to it. It feels like normal life. We go out and get in the car tonight, and some of you on the way home, I know what you're going to do already. You're going to punch on the old music. And everything that's been said to you tonight, the devil's going to steal out of your soul because you refuse to let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart regarding your sin. You think you've dealt with it by coming and listening to a preacher talk about it. Do you understand? Jesus drew a line right down through the middle, and he said, half are foolish and half are wise. And then he even went further and he said, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth when he returns? In other words, will anybody be ready to be saved when I come back, or will I have to send everybody to hell? Because we're American, because we're privileged, because we're educated, we think we're okay, because we've worked hard at our jobs and we've taken care of our families, because we're responsible, we think we're okay. The Lord is saying, will you please go to Bethel? Will you go to your place, the place where you touch the throne of God? Will you go to that place and will you let this, the malignant beast, be dealt with in our souls? The cancer that is fast taking over America. Will you let God deal with that in your heart? He can only do that in the prayer closet. We don't pray because we don't need to pray. We don't pray because the crisis has not come upon us so hot that we think we can get through. And the Lord's heart tonight is saying, Could I talk to you about your future? Do you remember when God spoke to David about his future? And David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Lord, who am I that you would talk to me about my future? He was overwhelmed to the point of tears. And now Jesus comes, and he sits down with us, and he says, could I talk with you about your future? If you're willing to suffer, if you're willing to turn aside from this sin, if you're willing to give up the world, I'm going to make you my co-heir over the kingdoms of the earth. That's what it says right here in Romans. He says, verse 17, chapter 8, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory What does it cost you to be a Christian? What price have you paid for following Jesus? If you've paid a price, that's your testimony. If you haven't paid a price, you have no testimony. Because you have no victory. Victory comes at a price. It means you have to take that Ishmaelite ring off your ear, and you have to bury it in the ground. You can't bank it. You have to bury it. It means you have to wash your clothes. It means you take a bath. It means you have to be transformed into Israel, overcomer. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you get the picture? Standing on tiptoe, watching for you to come through in victory in Jesus Christ. Will you go to the prayer closet, brother, sister? Will you go to the prayer closet, and will you get this work finished? Will you go to Bethel? If you will go to Bethel, you will receive the rewards of consecration. God will move in your life with majestic power, bringing you release from every sin. He will bring you into places of green pastures. He will bring peace to your soul. He will still the demons that taunt you. He will release you from being a heel grabber, and he will establish you as an overcomer. He will do it by the power of the blood. But you have to go to the prayer closet. And you have to fight it out with God. verse 23, and we close here. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, the law of the Spirit of life says that when I plant a seed in the ground, a seed doesn't grow up a plant grows up. We plant ourselves in the Spirit, and the same old spirit man doesn't grow back up, subject to all of the sin of life. But what grows up is a victorious Christian, walking in power at the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then that victorious Christian, walking in the Spirit, is groaning inwardly as we look forward to the coming of Jesus when this body will be likewise planted and we will receive a spiritual body. Oh, I tell you, I am homesick for Bethel. And I was just there this afternoon. I am homesick. I crave... In fact, Brother David Wilkerson calls it his craving room. Remember that? His craving room. He calls it that because every ounce of his body, every ounce of his soul desired to be in his prayer closet. That's where the joy of life is found, in the presence of Almighty God, listening to him, worshiping him, walking in him, experiencing his glory. But we can't stay there he sends us out to do his mission and his work, cleaning the house. Doing the job. Selling the cars. Working at the software company. Teaching the children. But our hearts crave, we're eager to get back into that prayer closet and into the presence of God where we can commune with him and be filled and overflowing with the anointing of the Spirit of God. And then terror will fall on our enemies. Do your enemies fear you tonight? Or do you fear your enemies? If you're fearing your enemies, it's because you have not spent time in Bethel. And it's time to go to Bethel.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at NationalPrayerChapel.com. With great joy. now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blankless before the presence of His glory.